totally at the World Cup. I must break you. World Cup Day 18, day of the penalty shootout. Two hours of tiki-taka earn Spain their tickets home in the land of the KGB. Russia decide to be KG and Spain are out from hero to zero. Denmark are two after a similar extended experience in the evening, which also ended on pens. We'll be discussing all of that, plus looking forward to Monday's action, which involves Mexico taking on Brazil and Belgium, Japan. What are Samurai Blues prospects in the biggest mismatch yet of this World Cup? You can find out in this Totally at the World Cup. Wow, raw drama and the stadiums of the World Cup on Sunday. And fresh from that, we bring you, listener, Daniel Story. Good evening. Carl Anker. Hello. And Sasha Gurionov. Very good evening. Sasha! Hi. Your boys. Um, I think this is... Stanislav Cherchesov is playing a massive joke on all of us. Um, Pre-tournament formations didn't look very sensible. Today, he reversed to a back five against Spain. And you're thinking, can Russia defend for 120 minutes against the Spanish team? As it turns out, yes, they can. Yeah, they can. You know, it was called Russia's most unexpected victory since the US presidential elections. That was uh, a tweet from how I got news view of politics, of course. But when you, when you saw the lineup, you, you, your, your heart sank. But then when you saw the game and when you saw the penalty shootout, Sasha, what did you do? Well, by that stage, I was just happy that Russia managed to get there, particularly that everyone was going down with cramp by the end of the 90 minutes. Uh, the fact they made it through the extra time was miraculous, uh, particularly after Rodrigo came on for Spain, putting Russia under more pressure. There was a questionable VAR decision as well with five minutes to go. But once it came to the shootout, I felt that um, the Spanish didn't really want to be there by that stage. So perhaps... Uh, Don't think anybody did, frankly, after that Well, game. I, I mean, I, I must admit, uh, this wasn't a great game of football, oh. but it, came, it went exactly as Chichester intended it to go. Basically bore all of us and Spain into submission. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about yeah. the game. We will, Sasha, I promise. Nick Miller saying... Russia versus Spain, extra time. France versus Argentina, no extra time. The world is a godless wasteland. And that, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it, Carl? Saturday was very much the Catalina wine mixer of uh, World Cup football. Uh, and this was very much the, the day after the, the Lord Mayor show. Just, yeah. OK, fine. Yeah, and, and this evening's game, a similar story, Croatia, taking on Denmark. Croatia will be facing Russia in the next round, the quarterfinals. And, and, and based on Sunday, what, what are we expecting from that? Interesting stuff. Um, Slevin Bilic was on commentary talking about Croatia, about how Croatia is very much prefer playing as the underdog. Now, I think Croatia might be the underdog because they played so poorly against Denmark that it hopefully can open up. Somewhat, mm. You can't be that bad in two knockout games, hopefully. However, however, I think Denmark have shown Russia the template that you can be boring and stop this this, this Croatia team. Mm-hmm. Mm. Although, you know, ultimately they, they didn't, but only just. Only just. All right, well, uh, what is opening up, of course, is this whole side of the draw, Spain out, which means that Russia, Croatia, Sweden, Switzerland, Colombia, England, one of them will be in the final. Uh, Euro Vidiliak saying, uh, it's real, when you read that list out loud, 
could easily be a qualifying group. Yeah, uh, I think it, I'm right in saying that those lot have won 20 knockout matches in World Cup history, of which England account for eight and Sweden six. Wow. So it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly open draw. And, and having, you know, I will readily admit that I was kind of unhappy how England approached it, but whatever happens on Tuesday night now, it gives Gareth Southgate more fuel to his opinion that he took the right way through the tournament. And it, it piles more pressure on England, but you've watched Croatia this evening and they've been the team of the tournament. Nine group points in the group stage, one of only three teams to do that. Obviously blew away Argentina 3-0, but there was none of that Modric-led passing tonight. None of that. There was no, Even Rakitic was, was not getting close enough to him. The midfielders were pushing up when the defenders still had the ball, which meant there was a huge gap between defenders and, and attacking midfielders. So, yeah, it, England should not be scared of playing any of the teams on that side of the draw. All right. Well, two fairly dull games on the Sunday, both of which were redeemed by the drama of penalty shootouts and had plenty of... Of, of talking points we can draw from them and we'll be doing that after this you're listening to the totally football show in association with paddy power listeners that was the moment that russian viewers celebrated their team their team making it into the quarterfinals basically by doing everything Sasha you told them not to do uh, yesterday in the, the by, by just digging in but I, I mean the other side of this coin brave defending that it was from Russia was what on earth happened to Spain what happened to Spain on Sunday afternoon Carl no penetration Tiki without the tacker uh, there's, a, there's a very good anecdote about how Michael Carrick survived all those years at Manchester United and I think Rio Ferdinand went, it's very simple. Michael Carrick understood you had to pass the ball forward, which was something I was thinking a lot about watching the Spain team. Uh, the stat was Isco had 133 passes and only 12 of them went forward. Mm. Um, and in comparison, when Iniesta came on, he had 13 passes that went forward, which is a real sort of old guard, new guard of Spain. This this Spanish method of death by a thousand cuts or a thousand passes, I think the past stats at the end of it show that Spain had well over a thousand passes. But... I can maybe think of three good chances they had. They scored their one goal because Sergio Ramos DDT'd Russia's centre-back and it went off his heel. It's really disappointing. We thought this was going to be the, the new age of Spain where they go from the Barcelona model to a more Real Madrid counter-attacking model and they seem to be stuck in between. All right. This is, though, a Spain team that lost its manager, the very highly rated Julian Lopetegui, just days before the start of the tournament and brought in a man whose previous experience had been having a middling season in, in the second division. Was that one of the reasons that they never kicked in, that they never saw what was happening? Yeah, I think there, there is an element that this Spanish side is schooled slash indoctrinated in this tic-a-tac style. Um, I don't think the style per se was the problem. Um, the problem was that when the style didn't work, they kept knocking and knocking and knocking rather than trying to change things up. Um, Russia had, had made it pertinently obvious that they were going to have at least eight outfielders behind the ball. Um, and yet they persisted with Koke stayed on the pitch for, for far too long, I think. There's nothing wrong with doing something that's not working as long as it's not working yet. But even half an hour into the game, you felt with Spain, as soon as Russia had scored, it, it just wasn't working full stop. And they had no second gear. They had no plan B. They brought Rodrigo on very late in the day. And he actually probably created uh, two of their three best chances in the match. Um, I think a better coach than Fernando Hierro would have changed things early and would have changed tactics. Uh, and obviously losing Loptegui just at the start of the tournament hampered Spain. But 
those players should be better enough to think on their feet, I think. Right. I think Although I'm, credit does go to Russia for denying them space, for I, denying I, them I channels. Think, I, th- I think Spain did not attack very smartly uh, because a lot of play went through Mario Fernandes, who possibly was Russia's best player today and is a very competent fullback stroke wingback. If you looked at the other side of the defence, on the left you had Kudryashov as an extra centre-back and Zhirkov, who was carrying an injury today, had to go off. Replaced by Granat, Kudryashov went full-back and Kudryashov is a very limited player who is quite slow. I was amazed to see that Spain really didn't try to attack him a lot, uh, that much. Mm. All right. Well, anyway, it went all the way to extra time and then towards the end of that, there was that moment when it looked like the ref was going to call for VAR. A lot of questions have been raised over the kind of refereeing that the home nation might might enjoy in, in, in this game. How did you feel? What was the consensus on the I VAR not acting? Mark, Mark Clattenberg on the, on the television explained it as well as any referee has in this tournament. And he said that uh, when they look at fouls like that, if they consider both players to be pulling, which is what they did in the, in the Harry Kane incident against Tunisia, which everyone was up in arms about. But they basically said, you're both pulling there, so we're not, we're not going to separate that out and call that as a clear and obvious error. We're going to say that there's, even if it's six, and, six of one and five of the other rather than half a dozen, we're not going to interrupt and call that. So, yeah, I think it was probably just about a fair decision. Whether it would, at the other end, the crowd would have influenced it is a, is a different question, but uh, that's not really our place to say. I think it was a correct call. I felt Russia, again, I think it was a 50-50, and I felt Russia got away with this slightly because whereas you could see Ramos, I think he was wrestling with Kutyapov, I felt that Ignashevich was probably pulling Pique a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... but. Pretty much this tournament, I think maybe it's the second decision when Russia can consider themselves lucky, the other one being potentially second penalty for Egypt. So I don't really think Russia benefited that much so far from refereeing decisions. Fair enough, Sasha. Well, to PKs it went. A lot of people tweeting about that. And extraordinary, Akin Feyev, who's legendary for not keeping clean sheets, and De Gea, who came into this tournament with a reputation as one of the world's best keepers, there's no question who was the better shot stopper here. I almost feel the Russian players coming up to take those penalties were looking at a very much diminished De Gea because of how he played at this World Cup. And there seemed to be absolutely no nerves of fear there. I mean, I think some players, some, some um, viewers would have looked at Ignashevich lumbering up, going, oh my God. But Ignashevich is actually a very experienced pro who is very good at the, at the, in these types of situations. But I felt the Russian who kept his nerve the best was Cheryshev because he stepped up there, Ramos converted his, and Ramos stayed behind for a few words. And of course, Cheryshev speaks Spanish, grew up there and everything. And Cheryshev just kept it cool and smacked it down the middle. And it was Aspas who lost his nerve. So I think collectively, for me, genuinely, it is amazing to see a Russian team, uh, sort of at any sort of level, just keep the bottle the way they did. Akinfej save on that uh, Aspas penalty. Great scorpion sort of <laughs> kick away. And I, you know, I feel for him as well because he's, he's been around for a long time. He's, he's taken his share of criticism and today, I think for him, it's, it's, it's like a day of redemption. I mean, they were interviewing him after the game and his human side doesn't come out very often in his interviews. And I think today, maybe he was finally able to let go, maybe get that monkey off his back a little bit and just be, be happy with football. What did he say, Sash? He, he said he felt empty. He just felt absolutely drained after something like that. And it, was, it, was just such a, it seems to be such a genuine response. All right. I imagine many Russians did. I wonder how Vladimir Granat... Uh, felt who uh, Terence like came on at half time didn't attempt a single pass in the entirety of the second half that's dedication yeah I, th- I think he attempted four in total and misplaced them all <laughs> yeah yeah well that's not what it was about today <laughs> and is that how it's going to be when Russia take on Croatia and also here's Arshurik asking if there's any chance that Djigoyev is going to be fit for the quarterfinals interesting that Russia have made this run without their best player 
first of all, I don't really agree that he is the best player. What does he bring that they don't have at the moment? It's creative spark. But he's he's in the position that uh, Golovin's occupied so right. well in his absence. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the way Russia played, they need the energy. And you could see Golovin racing back after 110 minutes to tackle back today. It was um, extraordinary. Um, amazing work rate. Um, and I think Zagoyev, to be honest, he'd struggle, I think, to get back into this team unless you push Golovin, Golovin wide, which is possible. I mean, it's really impossible to... Guest, uh, second guest, what Suchesev was going to do. But Zagoyev was supposed to have been fit for today. As was said, he was on the bench today. He was whipping up the crowd together with Zuba. Uh, and it's possible that maybe Russia can have another card in their pack for the, uh, for the quarterfinals. Sash, have you got a stat that sums up Russia's tournament so far? Well, hashtag efficiency. Uh, Russia scored nine goals from 12 shots on target. Right. And De Gea has faced how many shots on target? Is it seven? And six of them have been goals? We'll talk about... Croatia and how they've made it through in a second but final word on Spain are we going to miss them no this is the one I predicted Isco was going to be player of the tournament Spain were going to declare their grand new form of football where they've learnt counter pressing and heavy metal style and new tiki taka and they've just yeah just exactly gonna, yeah the inability of a team full of senior players you know the end of that game they had Iniesta on they had Isco who's been at Real Madrid for five years they had Sergio Ramos and Pique to leave from the back and there were no leaders on the pitch it reminded me a little bit of... Do you remember The Incredibles when Syndrome says, you slide dog, you, you had me monologuing. Yeah. And that's kind of what Russia had them doing. When well, you need to shoot, shoot, shoot don't, don't talk. talk. Good to bad and the ugly. What a movie. Sasha. Uh, I think possibly the only city in Russia where there might be a slight tinge of disappointment today is Krasnodar. City that didn't get the World Cup, but they got Spain to train there and they felt like it was a massive coup for them. Potential world champions training in their city and they're gone. Oh, mm. right. Okay. Well, very shortly we'll be talking about the other last 16 game played on Sunday, Croatia Denmark. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. This. yes. Croatia Denmark. Curiously, these two teams had come into this match without either of them conceding a single goal from open play. What happened within the first four minutes, Daniel? Both of them had conceded. Yeah, and we, having watched yesterday's football and the, the disorganised, brilliant chaos of it, we kind of thought, OK, we've got Spain-Russia out of the way. No offence, Sasha. Um, and the, the bad watch that that was. Uh, and then the madness happened in the first five minutes. And it, it was almost as if it had spooked both teams, conceding their first goal from open play. And they thought, well, for at least another hour, we're not going to try and do anything. Um, and that, that is, after the madness of Saturday, that is the reality of knockout football. We saw it in Spain-Russia. We saw it in Croatia-Denmark. When the pressure is heightened and every mistake you make can cost your side a place in that tournament, players play safe. And, and Croatia were particularly guilty of doing that in the second half. They, they, they played for extra time, which is an embarrassment, really considering their riches. Um, obviously, they got through, so they won't, they won't care and they'll back themselves to beat Russia. But yeah, I was really disappointed in, in them in the second half. Well, this one went to a shootout as well. And Croatia probably got justice, would you say, Carl, given that they had a man through clear on goal who was brought down in the dying minutes of extra time? Strange tinges of World Cup 2010, Uruguay versus Ghana there. Uh, what I'm really enjoying about World Cup 2018 is it seems to be a greatest hits collection of all the previous 20th century oh, World Cups. Nice. So we've got uh, the hosts making an unlikely run to mm. the quarterfinals, having knocked out Spain mm. from 2002. Mm -hmm. We've got... Uh, just everyone scoring amazing volleys and screamers what from 2006. From, what will we have from 1966? 
That's not in twenty. That's not twenty first century, is it? Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got some uh, Vuvuzela sound from oh, two thousand ten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A real strong African presence and vibe, if not all the African nations where I'd like them to be. And then from twenty two thousand fourteen, just chaos, just helter skelter. Everyone's running at each other. What on earth is going on? Uh, which is loads of fun. Very interesting that we don't have double jeopardy rule in World Cup football that we used to have in Champions League and Premier League football. So Jorgensen making the tackle after Kasper Schmeichel was done and left for dust doesn't get sent off, which is probably fair, but also is a lot less funny nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, And Luka Modric's completely missing the penalty. We, we call it in the studio that he, I, I said he's going to Asamoah Jandis. He's going to miss this penalty and then score the one they shoot out, which... He went on to do. Right. Well, it, it was a very interesting uh, shootout for me from the way the, the, the goalkeepers were the protagonists. So they really got into the heads of the penalty takers. That takes a strong referee as well, because with the introduction of VAR, um, the one element of football that was kind of half VAR'd before it came in was, was goalkeepers coming off their line on penalties. Um, referees were looking out for that. And I actually worried that the drama of penalty shootouts might be slightly eroded by VAR constantly making players retake penalties for keepers coming off the line. But actually, the referee went even softer. The, the keepers coming off the line, the keepers were uh, kind of winding up players before they took the penalties. There was a little bit of Bruce Grobelar going on, a little bit of star jumps on the line and spaghetti legs. And yeah, and some incredibly bad penalties. Um, you know, I was there screaming, that's an awful penalty. But it does show the sheer magnitude of 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 what a penalty shootout in the World Cup is about. Because mm. it, it does turn the most composed and considered players, like Luka Modric, mm-hmm. into nervous wrecks. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. 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 OK, first up from the big pot of World Cup goodness on Monday, 3pm, all the way from Samara, Mexico taking on Brazil. Woohoo! All right, those Mexicans, they lit up the uh, opening round of games with that victory over Germany and tailed off a little bit against Sweden. To find out what the current state of play is with the Mexicans in their eternal quest to break the curse of the fifth World Cup game, we dialed up goals Mexico and CONCACAF correspondent John Arnold, who's in Samara ahead of the game. John, you've been following Mexico throughout this tournament. What happened to them against Sweden? Well, you know, they've had a couple different blowouts in major tournaments, and I think it was sort of more of the same. Juan Carlos Osorio admitted after the game, hey, I got my tactics wrong on that one. Normally when a team, uh, when we play a team like Sweden that's just bigger than us, that, that can defend the box, that we can't get, you know, Mexican players in general don't have a lot of stature. They, they, don't, uh, they don't have a great aerial game. That's what, that's what Osorio says. He's really concerned about the aerial game, and of course Sweden does have that. And I think as soon as that first goal fell, Mexico's, uh, game plan sort of went out the window because I, I think they were just planning to attack, attack, attack and, and hopefully find a way through. They never did find that way through and they left themselves very open at the back. So Sweden was just kind of able to to score another and then a kind of a fluky own goal. So I don't think Mexico is too concerned about it, honestly, because as Osorio and several players have pointed out, Brazil is not going to play like Sweden is going to play. And, and, and that's a good point, but still a bit concerning to have lost 3-0 in your previous game and now going against a team that 
they continue to call the best team in the world. So yeah. I, I think it's cause for concern. I think the mentality is a, is a bit of a question going into the game uh, after, you know, coming off a 3-0 loss. But uh, that's what Mexico says happened. They said it's fine and, and we're moving on and, and we kind of are going to forget about that. Well, they got away with it thanks to the Koreans and a, a real surprise in their game with, with Germany and wonderful scenes back in Mexico City with uh, uh, the, the consul being held aloft and, and, and paraded through the streets in, in, in scenes of gratitude. But this quest for the Quinto Partido, you couldn't really have asked for a more difficult last 16 matchup in the quest to finally make it past this, this stage of the tournament. They would have been playing Switzerland if they hadn't blown it with Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Andres Guardado, the team's captain, came out and said, no, this is the perfect scenario for us, because if we had gotten there against Switzerland, you guys, you critics in the press would have said, ah, you know, you don't deserve it. It's not a real, you know, goal. It, it's the first time in, in seven tries for us to get to the fifth game, to get to the quarterfinals for the first time in history on foreign soil. But you guys would have diminished it if it came against Switzerland. So it's better that we're playing, playing Brazil. I don't buy that. I think it would have been an accomplishment all the same had Mexico beaten Switzerland. Obviously, if they beat Brazil, it's a, it's enormous achievement. And, and again, this team that they're sort of propping up as the best in the world, and you'd have to say, especially with the way results are going, seems like one of the tournament favorites. If Mexico is able to go through, they will have deserved it. But I think it would have been much nicer had they been able to get that one point that they needed against Sweden to move on and not play Brazil. Right. Of course, they've already beaten one of the pre-tournament favorites in their opening game, that defeat of Germany. So what do you think? Well, listen, I think that uh, it will be a different game. I think that Mexico is going to have a better game plan than this. I think when teams come out to play against Mexico, they had a couple friendlies against European teams like Belgium. They, they had a 3-3 draw in Belgium with the Belgians. When teams come out and play, when teams want to attack, Mexico often excels because I think one of their weaknesses is is leaving space at the back defensively. So, you know they can also exploit space. I guess basically it's sort of a matter of where are the opportunities and, and sometimes, uh, you know, they just don't come in those closed games or, or they do and Mexico can't convert their chances. So I guess all that to say, they have a better chance against Brazil than I think maybe people are giving them because I think obviously the Brazilians will, will, will try and play a little football, but this is maybe the best defensive Brazil that we've seen in, in ages. So I do think it's going to be difficult for them. I think they are going to leave space at the back. Hector Moreno, their best center back is suspended. I think Carlos Acedo will have to move over. This will be the third different position he's played along the back line, right back, right center back, and now left center back. So I don't love their chances. I don't know if they love their chances, but at the same time, they continue to say we're focused on winning the World Cup, and if we get to the Quinta Partido because of it, then that's welcome. John Arnold of goal. Of course, you've got to worry about their momentum, haven't you, Mexico? Yeah, it, it, they were the, almost the opposite to England in that, England played okay against Belgium with a much-changed team. Mexico picked their full-strength team and got walloped by Sweden. I don't think they will beat Brazil. I think Brazil will have too much in... There's so much resting on Hector Herrera's shoulders tomorrow against Coutinho. Coutinho has been the star of this World Cup, to my mind, um, with mm -hmm. Neymar. Neymar taking all of the limelight. Brazil, by contrast to Mexico, finally produced a really good display in their third group match. Um, Neymar, of course, with the with, with the task of emulating his PSG teammates, who on Saturday both produced incredible performances, Mbappe and, and Cavani. What do you think, Sash? I think the way Sweden picked Mexico apart on the counter, I thought that's really, really exposed Mexico, and I think Brazil can do something similar. And if you recall, there was the Copa America Centenario, 2016, when Mexico was 7-0. Yep. And this was this, this sort of reminded Brazil me of that. Brazil beat them 7-0. No, it was Brazil. It was Chile. Chile, Chile beat them 7-0. Yeah. Mexico, oh, Mexico lost 7-0, just being exposed gaps at the back, being 
ruthlessly exposed. And I thought this is what Sweden did quite well. But wasn't that the issue with the Sweden game, that Mexico liked to be the, the underdogs to sit back and hit on the break? And with Brazil, maybe they'll get the chance to do that? No. No, no. no. So, the, the Germany, <laughs> so the Germany game that where Mexico did Germany, which is fantastic, that relies on Germany playing a massive high line. Uh, the fullbacks bomb forward, the two centre-backs push up and also stay very, very far apart. So Mexico go, all right, we can have eight guys behind the ball because the moment we get the ball, we only need two boys up top. Yeah. You do that against Brazil, that doesn't happen because the two boys back top are Miranda and Thiago Silva who are born in the dark arts of centre defending. They've also got um, either Fernandinho or Casemiro who are also born in the arts of dark defending. So no? So no, 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 no. Okay, Even cool. if you get through, they're going to knee you in the bum. <laughs> All right then. Okay, well, Coutinho's been doing well. Gabriel Jesus, not so much. And a lot of people thinking that maybe Firmino will come in for him. They should. Yeah. Should, yeah. The system works a lot better for Firmino works. Firmino is the best false nine to do it since Messi was doing it when he was a bit younger. And, and the thing is with Firmino as well, I mean, goal scoring isn't his primary task in this Brazil team, but he can. He scores one and two for Liverpool uh, last season. And I think, again, he's, he's a very underrated player, even now. I, th- I still don't think he gets the recognition uh, that he should 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 do as part of that Liverpool front People line. People look really? the other way when he scores, looking the no. other way. Like a really basic thing uh, in terms of like how good Firmino is and how important he is to an attacking system. He's not very tall. He's not very good in the air. Uh, Liverpool always take very long goal kicks up to him because the plan is Firmino challenges. If he loses, that's fine because the middle three will swarm into the space where the ball is knocked in and then you can start a counter-attack very, very quickly. As a set, opposing centre-back, your thing is I either let Firmino win that and then try and score, which he might do, or I do my job, beat them and, oh no, they've counter-attacked and beaten me. And then he showed against Costa Rica, he can win it in there and set up the goal. That's the thing. The only reason Gabriel Jesus starts is because Tite likes Gabriel Jesus. Mexico massive underdogs yes. against Brazil. Daniel? Yeah, sorry. I'm no. going to pour cold water on your romance. No, I okay. think Brazil 2-0. All right. One thing I would say, though, oh. it, it could be um, could be like a home game for Mexico. Mexico have taken over Russia. Everybody loves them. They uh, On the off day, 29th of uh, June, they had, um, I think the fan embassy staged like a Day of the Dead parade. Mm. Just, I mean, of course, it's it's not the right date or anything, but to show the Russians what Mexican culture is all about. The Russians are absolutely all over them, but on the pitch, they're going to be too weak. Also on Monday, it's the big 7 o'clock game from Rostov, Belgium, taking on Japan. Apart from the hosts, maybe Japan have been the most surprising team in Russia, finishing second in Group H after beating Colombia, drawing with Senegal. Producer Ben, him again, spoke with Ben Maxwell, host of the JTalk podcast, to find out about how Japan planned to take on the Belgians and what the reaction was to their controversial qualification from Group H when, of course, they ended with a 1-0 defeat to Poland but went through ahead of Senegal on fair play points. Controversy, I guess, is the right word. A really um, conflicting uh, situation at the end of the game where you're used to a, uh, a side needing to, to get back into a game to want to score a goal and, and Akira Nishino sending his captain on as a substitute with eight minutes to go and basically telling his team that he wasn't interested in equalising, that uh, he was banking on the result in the Colombia-Senegal game staying the same. And, yeah, I mean, the somewhat farcical scenes of uh, Poland just allowing Japan to pass the ball around for the last six or seven minutes, there were you know initially obviously just joy and relief that Japan had, had gotten through. 
then I guess as more of the international reaction began to feed back into Japan, then people started to look at things a, a little bit differently. And obviously Nishino's a post-match uh, comments where he, you know, expressed regret at basically doing what had to be done, I suppose. And it was um, somewhat strange way, obviously, to go through the first time that fair play's ever come into it in a World Cup, a team getting out of a World Cup group. But at the end of the day, they've accomplished something that I certainly didn't think they were capable of at the start of the tournament. And yeah, I don't think many others uh, did either. So from here, I guess they're playing with house money. They've matched uh, Japan's best ever performance at a World Cup if they go out against Belgium. Um, so we'll just, yeah, we'll wait and see what uh, tricks uh, Nishino has up his sleeve for the last 16. Ben, no matter what the circumstances of your qualification, you've had a really, really good campaign so far. I mean, certainly we were writing you off in all of our preview shows. Um, is there any way you can beat Belgium on the pitch or are you going to have to rely on fair play again? <laughs> well, yeah, some would argue that might be the only chance uh, Japan has got. I mean, obviously all, all across the pitch, uh, Belgium have uh, the better team on paper, I guess it's probably uh, one of the uh, the biggest uh, mismatches, uh, not only on paper but uh, FIFA rankings-wise, there's probably ever has been in in the knockout stage of of a World Cup with Belgium ranked third and Japan 61st uh, at the start of the tournament. But um, one thing that Nishino did, and it's actually something similar that Belgium did in their last group game and that England did as well, is that he rested six players he rotated six players out of the uh, the team that took on uh, Poland but all six of those players had started the first two games and were considered yes uh, basically locks in the, the the first 11 his best 11 and he backed his squad to get the job done and by hook or by crook they lost one nil on the on the afternoon but they they got their way through and so in in this regard I mean he will have a fairly fresh team to uh, to take on Belgium who obviously will be will be the same having made a nine changes I believe it was for their own final group stage game how will they beat Belgium well they might need a bit of luck they might need a third minute penalty they unfortunately can't get through on fair play they can't get through on the the uh, the ability of their supporters to clean up the stadium after the game but what they can do is um, is they can try and take the sting out of the game in the first 10 or 15 minutes. If they can make it through without conceding, then anything's possible. They've got a, um, a good front line that um, is certainly probably not internationally known as, uh, as being outstanding, but they've got a, t- a team that will work together. They could do what would be considered impossible to most people at the moment, and they could knock Belgium off. Playing with house money, Sasha, the Japanese, Monday evening. But they, they got to the stage after, as has been mentioned, all the criticism about what they did against Poland, but it was plus 40 degrees out there. I mean, the, it was it was absolutely unbelievable conditions to play football in Volgograd, notoriously very hot. England were very lucky to have an evening uh, kickoff there, which on a day that was slightly cooler. But try to run around in 40 degree heat and trying to get the result, perhaps getting caught for another goal by Poland, um, I have a lot of sympathy for what Japan did there at the end. They just took their chance. All right. That's an interesting perspective. Of course, Japan, the team that England lost rather than have to play. And Belgium will have to see how they get on against. And Belgium, who scored the most goals in the group stage, who were one of only three teams uh, to win all three of their group games, who are unbeaten in the last 22 matches. And while being really impressive so far, haven't quite got out of second gear. Is that right, Belgium? Have we seen them flex their true strengths yet? I think that's very true. I think I was here 
after the first England group game and I said, we don't know how good Belgium are. And here we are. And I still don't know how good Belgium are. I still have yet to see a Belgium side play in third gear. If you play FIFA 18 a lot, there's this new World Cup mode. You can play, blah, 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 play around. You can run through the computer. Who's going to win the brackets? You do this a lot. Belgium will play Brazil in the quarterfinals and Belgium will beat them every single time according to FIFA because in computer land, Belgium are of the same level as the second, third favourites of the World Cup. Whereas in real life land, what happens is that Belgium will play, say, Wales in the quarterfinals and lose 3-1. Exactly. We, we, we don't know. We don't yeah. know. We, I don't know how good these players are. I don't know how good this manager is. I don't know what system they're going to go for. Daniel? I think there's a really interesting link between Belgium and France. France in the group stage did kind of what Belgium did, but against better countries, which is just do enough. And Saturday when France played... It looked as if they'd heard everything Deschamps said and they'd, they'd come together as a team in a huddle and gone, we need to attack this game. Argentina are there for the taking. Um, so you had Giroud playing the centre-forward role that Lukaku will play and people feeding off him. But more importantly, you had Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann running through, i.e. Dries Mertens and Eden Hazard. And I think if Belgium kind of decide the same, right, we've got the groups out of the way, we didn't play particularly well, but that's gone now, let's attack the knockout stages. I think they very quickly, as France did, went from tedious to actually their favourites here. I think Belgium could quite quickly become heavy favourites on that side. They're of the stuffed with game-changing players mm. now, like Zazar and De Bruyne and uh, Lukaku, Bacuay. I mean, the, the, the list goes on. Janosai, of course, in, in the last game with a terrific goal. Um, they have several players on yellow cards, though, as well, including De Bruyne, uh, Munier and Vertonghen, which could prove significant because if they pick up a yellow here, they'd be missing... For the quarterfinal. That's, that's massive as well because Martinez is picking wingers at wing-back at the moment because he hasn't got any full-backs. Mm. Two, Munier is obviously the first choice on the right, but Vertonghen as the central defender is the only other one that can play left-back if they need another left-back. So, yeah, they do need to be very careful there. Although, I don't think Japan will trouble them. All right. This is Romelu Lukaku's golden boot campaign, starting here now as well, with, oh, yeah. with Ronaldo gone on four and Harry Kane obviously playing later against a tougher side. Having been rested for that third group game, this is him wanting to score another two goals to, to go ahead in the golden boot. And, and what will Lukaku be saying to himself as he approaches the ball with a goal in front of him? No R1 circle. I'm beating <laughs> this ball to try and kill you. Sasha, still not happy with your murderous meddling regime, but the World Cup that you're hosting in, in Russia, everybody is absolutely loving it. You must be delighted with how everything's been going so far. Well, it's... Uh... The World Cup Fun and Joy brought to you by the FSB. <laughs> you know, uh, it's uh, it cannot be possibly worse than the best. Okay. So I think the security around the tournament and the organization, you know, the uh, the guys who've been looking after it, I think they know what they're doing. <laughs> so um, therefore, any potential for trouble, any potential for protests, anybody kicking off, I think they, they have dealt with it most efficiently, just like the Russian team on the pitch in front of goal. Uh, right. But it also has to be pointed out that there has been incidents of fan trouble. For example, Argentina fans after the Croatia game, um, they have been those England fans in Volgograd. But it seems to be the, the incidents haven't made really made the headlines here. It's more the atmosphere. Okay, a lot of efficiency in terms of the policing and the organisation, but a lot of really, uh, a, a lot of real warmth as well from people, particularly outside of Moscow, I think. So many stories of, of, of the kind of reception that people got around the country. Well, this is, this, this is what I've been, I was saying for, for two years since Marseille. I mean, Marseille massively stole the narrative. But um, I think the point I was trying to make is, you know, once you get out there and meet the people, 
um, you know, they, they would make a huge difference to the way you view the country because at the end of the day, they're just normal people. Yeah, except the way that we view the country isn't really, it's not, not about the people, it's about some of the this actions. Is about, yeah, but yeah. It, 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 so that it, doesn't exactly. change too much, but that, that's another subject. And also, we, we, we have to remember that the World Cup becomes World Cup land mm. held yeah. in a country. Russia, there's never been any doubt that Russia is a beautiful country. It's, but to get Putin together with FIFA have created a World Cupville with more ring fencing than there's ever been before, haven't they? Well, so for, for example, I mean, uh, lots of Russians are already asking the question, so what's going to happen after the 15th of July? What are we going to go back to? And one of the sort of nice moments um, uh, that I saw... Sorry, in what sense go back to... Well, you know, no public gatherings, no fun zone, effectively. All oh, right, um, okay. So, for example, um, uh, a, few, a few of the guys I know went to Saransk for Panama-Tunisia. Not the most glamorous game. And one of them was writing on Twitter after the game really warmly. So, yeah, it was just like the good old days. Could just sit off on the bench with a few tinnies, having a chat with their mates, police walking past, asking no questions, just leaving us alone. This has been the message. So police have been present, but they have just not been touching anyone. You know, you guys have your own fun. Whereas Which, normally that wouldn't be well, the case. Whereas normally it would not be the case. Um, you know, there's been cases like, say, opposition have been asking, you know, whenever we have like two people gathering somewhere, you know, it's all automatically a picket and, you know, people will get gathered up. Police will ask questions. 7,000 Swedes working through the, walking through the middle of Nizhny Novgorod, absolutely fine. So it's, it's almost people have the feeling, you know, there's one rule for the foreigners, there is another rule for us. Yeah. Uh, there's been anecdotal cases of people speaking to the police. So um, would we be able to drink in the streets after mid-July? Yeah, if you're foreign, yes. If you're local, no. Mm. So that's that that sort of thing. So again, going back to what I was saying before the World Cup, everything will be put on perfectly for the foreigner. And if the Russians can join in the fun, all right, you can do this for now. But the big question is what happens after the 15th of July? I think it would go back to what it was before. Right. Big question is what's going to happen on the 15th of July and to whom? Anyway, (laughs) that's a question for the 14th of July. Uh, Right now, uh, it's time to get the odds on Monday's games. Lorks are lordy. Ben's been talking to Paddy Power again. Thanks, Jimbo. Lee Price, these knockout stages, eh? (laughs) It's making me very anxious looking forward to the England game, but today should be one to enjoy, hopefully. All right, well, let's let's start, though, with uh, Brazil versus Mexico. Mexico started with an absolute bang. They've already put... Germany out, essentially. Can they put out their big rivals, Brazil, here? If you'd asked me before their third group game, I would say I fancy them as dark horses. But actually, after that pitiful showing and contriving to go out of the tournament, actually, in that defeat, I don't think they can. Brazil, as you'd expect, are odds on their 1-2, to two, which seems like good value, actually. Mexico are lengthy 13-2. to two. Lee, the other game, the, the late game, is Belgium versus Japan. Belgium, who came top of England's group. Japan, who finished second of uh, that rather fabulous Group H. Uh, what's going to happen here? Yeah, Japan was supposedly the team everyone wanted to avoid, but the odds don't suggest that at all. Japan are 5-1 to one to beat Belgium. Quite long odds for this. Belgium are 4-9 to nine and heavily favoured to go through here. Uh, it seems like finishing top was actually a good thing. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. You can tweet us, listener, at The Totally Show. We love getting your questions and comments. Also, come and join us on Facebook where there's videos and quizzes and things. Monday night after the final whistle, whenever that might be, in the Japan-Belgium game, Duncan Alexander, Jack Lang and Harriet Drudge from 442 will be here at uh, Totally Care of Jazz FM. So for now, it's many, many thanks to Daniel Story. Thank you again. To Carl Anker. Been a pleasure. And Sasha Gurianov. Pleasure, as always. And to you, listener, I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll catch up with you later. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.